WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox. On the web at mainboats.com. On the wing, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., where you will hear the latest releases in folk, rock, world, jazz, and much more. Only on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. I am alone, but adored by a hundred thousand more than I said when you were alive. Here's a message for everyone who loves Community Radio. Community and public media are the subject of a critical debate in Washington about keeping or ending federal funding for public non-commercial media. If this funding were to be eliminated, it would mean losses of $100,000 from WERU's annual operating budget and potentially $30,000 from our new transmitter fund. 170 million Americans utilize public media every month and you'll want of them. More information on how you can participate in this funding debate is available at 170millionamericans.org. You can also find a link to that site at weru.org. Thank you. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. And it's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Rusty Anchors Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. It's <laughs> the second Tuesday of the month. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill, around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your old rusty anchors and loose cannons, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And uh, both of us being sailors, we, uh, when we're out going somewhere, <laughs> hang on, folks. You got to answer the phone. We're uh, stuck in the driveway this morning answering the phone. Yeah. Guests are up in the air, and uh, we don't know what's going on. Yeah. You were saying. So anyway, um, navigating. We uh, Most often when we're out sailing, we're going somewhere, headed not just out for a cruise around the, the, the bay. We are headed in some certain direction, and we uh, we both realized the great importance of uh, navigation, staying right on course, keeping your uh, boat going the most efficient way to get there. That's uh, called a heading, and uh, that's uh, an important thing to us because it's important to stay on course, or as some people call it, staying on the on the A heading, because uh, when we get off course, we really hate the, the B headings. 
Be, I was wondering where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> so were you for a minute. Yeah. I've got too many things going on all at one time. The bee headings, though, they do uh, bring new meanings to rolling on the on the rolling seas. I um, captain for a guy for a long time who would uh, plan his trips all winter. And every trip came with quite an itinerary. And his personal growth was to let some of that itinerary go. Must be an important call, man. His important, uh, I was going to step out of the phone booth here, uh, his most um, uh, uh, big thing was to free himself up from his itinerary and have the courage just to go wherever on a certain day. And, and some people can do that and some people can't. So uh, some people will never be beheaded, I guess, because they're uh, never on an A heading. And that can be kind of commendable. It is the middle of February. We're doing boat talk. And when we started uh, picking up the boat talk show, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, um, we did it a time or two in the summer, and that went fairly well, and they asked us to do it all year. And I remember quite specifically asking them, uh, what do you think we'll talk about in February? And here we are. <laughs> and there's uh, plenty to talk about. We had a, a guest, hopefully this morning, but... Um, don't believe that will be happening. We're going to talk to Bob Curtis. Bob is a uh, clamoring lobsterman out of Rockland, and he, uh, oh, it was quite a while ago, back in the mid-'80s, was uh, clamming over in the Fox Island thoroughfare, headed back to Rockland on a Sunday morning, ended up getting blown offshore, and through an uh, interesting series of events, ended up spending 27 hours perching on the Bay Ledge buoy which is six miles just due south of Idlehaven, not near anything, and uh, only a little piece of Seal Island between him and Europe was uh, what was going to happen, and he survived fairly well on that buoy on a frozen night, and it's a heck of a story. Now, uh, we, we, uh, uh, it looks like we won't have Bob today, but hopefully we got plenty of other stuff, and we have a great tale of a boat gone adrift out of Port Clyde, and... Uh, Oh, the uh, usual stuff that's in the news, I would say, mind you, Alan's out of the studio right now answering the phone, that it would be a lovely morning for phone calls, and uh, that's one of our founding principles on Boat Talk here. We always trust the audience when, uh, you know, we don't know, I was going to say, what we're doing or how we're doing it, let's put it that way. Last month on Boat Talk, we spoke to uh, people from the New England Aquarium and Allied Whale. Um, the College of the Atlantic, Dr. Sean Todd and Moira Brown. We talked to him about right whales found out in the Gulf of Maine in the middle of the wintertime, which was very unusual. And uh, they were, were uh, scoping these things out by plane and also on a whale-watching catamaran uh, out of Southwest Harbor this winter. And they were uh, out there just at New Year's and saw a bunch of right whales and were waiting for another calm day to take the boat back out. And I was lobbying hard to get on that boat. And I was pretty much uh, assured of a spot, if possible, and they've canceled the boat. Uh, partly that was because of bad weather and also partly because uh, flying around, they can't find any more right whales. Although, as I pointed out to the fellow, we never thought they were there in the first place and not finding them is not proof that they're not there, so let's go anyway. But that was uh, the hopefully boat ride we were going to do last month through Boat Talk was... Kind of got canceled for the winter, and uh, a little disappointed by that. But the phone has already rung. Let me give the phone number, and mind you, Alan, ain't even in here right now. 
We're doing Boat Talk this morning, 1-866-625-9378 is the phone number here. And we will talk to you anytime this morning because our agenda is uh, not overloaded. Now, somebody on the phone there, Amy? Yeah, good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Who are we speaking with? Good morning. This is Captain Yo in Tremont. Captain Yo, how are you so far today? I'm doing okay. I'm a little disappointed not to have a first-hand account of that awful night on the buoy. But I had another subject I wanted to bring up, and it has to do with staying on course. Now, I know that most modern vessels do not rely on a magnetic compass. But um, I should think that that would still be very important to most mariners. I've seen several reports recently about the magnetic poles shifting to the point that the Tampa airport had to redesignate runways. And I was just wondering if uh, you guys or anyone listening knows any more about that. I, I have a Mercator projection of the world here that shows the South Magnetic Pole is very near the Arctic Circle, pretty much directly south from Australia. And the North Magnetic Pole is not too far from the, the Northern Arctic Circle, someplace in um, northern Alberta, north of Hudson's Bay which seems to me that they're sort of lopsided on this hemisphere. But I'd seen another article saying that the North Magnetic Pole had shifted all the way to Finland, which is thousands of miles. And that would, it seems to me, seriously throw off magnetic uh, course keeping. And has the Coast Guard said anything or the Weather Service or... Uh, anyway, I'm in the dark about these reports, and I'd very much like to know more about it before my compass starts spinning here. Well, let's talk about uh, magnetic variation for a minute on the chart. You have uh, two compass roses imposed on the chart, and there's an inner and an outer rose. And one of them points dead north, true north, and the other one points magnetic north, which is the one that you really need to know about. And the difference between the two is called the magnetic derivation. I believe, what, 18 degrees here or so? Something like that. Does that sound about right, yo? For the coast of Maine, yeah. Yeah. Um, so all our compasses are, are acting under a correction to start with. And, and if it moves, we can still use a compass. We just need to know what to, you know, how to, how to uh, um, subtract or add the uh, uh, right amount of degrees to, to uh, head the right way. But well, that's the whole point. What's yep. the correction factor is what I'd like to know. Well, I think if it if it would uh, had gone a thousand miles, it would be huge, and we would have heard about that. Um, it does move around on a regular basis, though, which is again very interesting. And of course, uh, is the Earth changing at the present time? Uh, you know, with or without the weather, it's it's an interesting question. All that ice melting up there shouldn't affect the magnets down in the rocks, aren't they? Like refrigerator magnets that are underground somewhere. Well, the magnetism is caused by the spinning of the iron core. So, of course, it's all in flux. The Earth isn't steady state. It's mostly fluid. And that's what creates the magnetic field. Yeah. So it's easy to understand how it shifts, but we want to know how far it shifts. <laughs> that's the important question. Like I say, it's it's huge when you're heading out to uh, have an idea where you're going. The, the fellow we were going to talk to on the bell buoy today... Um, he ended up pretty much 180 degrees uh, in the opposite direction from where he was trying to get back to Rockland when he come out of the Fox Island thoroughfare. And again, you're out there in the middle of the water with no clues. 
which direction is a huge thing and a very fine-tuned adjustment you must be aware of. And uh, a few degrees this way or that way makes a big difference, especially over distance. So what? He got lost because of a compass malfunction? No, it was a very bad. It was a very calm day that turned into a very bad day, and he was having trouble with his boat. Yeah, the boat uh, was out of control due to weather. Uh, the boat was taking on water. He was trying as hard as he could to bail the thing, and while he was doing that, he was getting blown. Right. And uh, you know, you look up, and mind you, this was 1984. There was no GPS. Right. So you he know. knew where he was. He just couldn't get there. Um. He started out knowing where he was, and after a while, he did not know where he was. Uh -huh. And he only knew there was a lot of open water around him, and that didn't look like any place close to Fox Island, Thoroughfare, or Rockland. Yeah, all he you knew know. was he was downwind, and the wind at that time was blowing out to sea. Yeah, check it out on the chart, yo. He was uh, going fishing. He was going clamming up in Kent Cove, the eastern end of the Fox Island Thoroughfare, which is uh, between North Haven and Vinyl Haven. He was clamming up on North Haven. When he came back out, and his course out of Rockland's like an L, um, out of Rockland, then make a turn up into the thoroughfare there. Um, his destination ended up to be more of a T, if you think of him uh, coming out of Rockland on the cross of the T, going up the base of the T, up the Fox Island thoroughfare. He came back out, he ended up way, 12 miles the other direction, um, down the top of the T. Um, and like I say, the only thing between him and Europe at that time was Seal Island, and that was not close to him either, so... Um, it is quite a story, and he's an interesting fella, and uh, we, we uh, certainly hope to uh, get him on at a, at a later time. I would certainly hope somebody else out there might have more knowledge than us about what you're talking about, and again, we welcome anybody. I think we might. We have another person right on the line. So yeah. Let's go right to that. Thank Good. you, yo. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thanks a lot. This is Fred in Tennant's Arbor. Hey, Fred. Usual suspect. Absolutely. On absolutely. several di in several different uh, <laughs> venues. I heard you last night on the soapbox, Fred. Right. Um, did you have you heard the song that uh, somebody wrote and sang about uh, this guy who wound up on the buoy? Really? Absolutely. I thought he would have told. He was bragging. Uh, oh well. <laughs> pointing out his press <laughs> clippings. He didn't tell me about the song. Yeah. Yep, nope. Can you hum a few? Can you sing a few I, lines? Sorry, no, I uh, can't even give you the refrain, but uh, it's catchy, and uh, maybe he wants it to disappear, but uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, it, uh, hopefully it's somewhere in the uh, ERU archives. You have any idea? The arm is not a Gordon Bach uh, classic no, or anything, no, is no, it? No, 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 no. Somebody, uh, some local, uh, or some lesser-known name, sad to say, uh, Wrote it and sang it, but uh, see if you can find it. I wonder what it would be listed under. Um, anyway, it uh, it's I'll, there. I will ask my friend Bob about that. And mind you, um, you know, he he went on that buoy about twelve o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Didn't get rescued till like two o'clock next day. Uh huh. And uh, and he and he and he stayed warm uh, with uh, boot burning. Well, he didn't really stay warm burning well, his okay, boots, but okay, right, correct. It might have cheered him up and give him something to do. <laughs> right, and that's think probably gave him some energy and he was totally <laughs> black from the soot when they picked him up he was quite a sight but he was jumping up and down and did not need any assistance had a little bit of frostbite in his hands yeah you, know? you could say it warmed his soul pretty pretty hardy fella anyway uh, and bob uh, that was 26 years ago i think he's 52 now so half half a lifetime ago and um by all accounts had a few adventures since then um, and i met him down on the uh ramp in Rockland this fall when we were launching that uh, Presto 30 sailboat that we've been talking about here. And uh, 
just saw him, went over and chatted with him, said if he needed help pull his boat out and, and got chatting. And, you know, uh, like I say, we hit it off, and, and uh, we will talk to him at some point. Speaking of the uh, the Presto, I saw that thing being de-rigged at Snow Marine Park in Rockland. And I wasn't quite energetic enough to go over and talk to him, but it, I could see him uh, with their, uh, the way they uh, got the mast down. I guess it's in two sections. And um, it looked as good as advertised. Yep. Well, like I say, they uh, hoist that up with what's called the gin pole, which is kind of a portable... Uh, um, you know, pole for hanging a pulley on, a, a portable crane, if you think about it, in the old days. Uh-huh. They had real cranes. And uh, it is quite a slick system. The Presto 30 has been making a little, uh, some news, too. Our friend Thor was down and did the uh, Key, Week, uh, Key West Race Week. And uh, the race, I believe, is from Fort Lauderdale to Key West. I may be wrong, but something like that. And uh, it started off in very light winds. And the Presto 30 is good in any conditions, but light winds would not be its fastest point of sail. Mm. So they lagged a little bit. And overnight, I believe the winds come up, and they just drove that thing through the fleet. And this little 30-foot, uh, you know, two-masted uh, uh, catch there is passing 40- and 60-foot boats. Huh. Like they're sitting still, and these people are looking at them going by going, what? Who are those guys, <laughs> you know? And... Sailboat racing is a lot about handicaps, kind of like golf, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've never known a, a, a golfer to bag his handicap and, and uh, you know, play with a false handicap sort of thing. But that's, that's a tactic in sailboat racing. And they had a pretty good handicap, and they were worried about losing it. Because uh-huh. there's <laughs> <laughs> radically, uh, like, say, observed performance. So anyway, they're still making waves. They've sold yet another boat. They've sold eight of them now. And, down to uh, Union River where, Boat. Where, where are they making them? Right here in Bucksport in the well, industrial well, park. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and they're uh, working on them. they got a crew working on them right now. And Eight. every one of them is a bit different. And uh, they're retooling certain things to make their their production uh, easier. And like I say, it's keeping people working this winter. That is progress. Yeah. All right, well, thanks a lot. Thank you, Fred. Okay, take care. Alan, where have you been, Boy. man? <laughs> who keeps well, we, trying to call you on the phone? What's going I don't on know. here? Let's find out who's on the phone here right. next. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi there, guys. This is Graham from Old Boat Shop. Hey, Graham. Graham, been Long thinking about you. How are you guys doing? Good, how are you? Pretty good. good. My biggest regret this summer was going by Amesbury so many times with no opportunity to stop by, and I apologize, and I'm still going to walk through the door someday. <laughs> that, that's his story, <laughs> and he's sticking to it. Here, but yeah. Summer. Yeah. You guys still talking about uh, the poles? Oh, absolutely. You know anything about the magnetism there? Well, it uh, apparently every, well, probably several million years, I'm no geologist, the poles actually reverse. And the scientists are saying that it's happening to the other planets in the solar system, ours included. And I guess what happens is the poles actually start to wobble. It's like a top stopping spinning. And eventually the poles actually reverse. And so I just have an article here that I read just yesterday, which is fortuitous, and apparently it's causing superstorms like Katrina, huge cyclones, and this big snowstorm we just had, which is important to us mariners. And uh, I can send you the article, but it's, it's rather interesting, and uh, apparently it's only going to get worse. 
That would be, I'm assuming it doesn't flip all on one day, but boy, that would be a bad day of navigating. It's like a wind change. You want to see them coming, you know? Yeah, and I, I guess, um, I don't know, I only learned about this many years ago in college, but it's the, the reason that uh, granite has grain. Are you familiar with this at all? Tell me. I guess granite is a uh, volcanic rock, and so obviously it's, it's at some point molten. And when it's flowing, all of the, um, and again, I'm not a geologist. I don't uh, know the proper terms. but Feldspar um, is in there, has some yeah, iron in it, yeah. They all line up with the pole. And so they can actually, from granite, determine where the pole was uh, at the time of the formation of the granite. And so they can, you know, sort of track the, the polar wander, if you will, through the years. But it also gives uh, granite grain so you can split it out in nice, uh, uniform blocks. Cool. That does remind me of something I learned in college. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. And I remember, I believe that way back, going way back, they've tracked the North Pole all the way down to near Hawaii. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's moved a lot in one day. I'm sure, but it's uh, it's apparently starting yet again. And then, you know, ice ages ensue and all that sort of thing. So. Well, there's the whole uh, global warming, yes, global warming, no, climate change, maybe, a uh, polar shift. Uh, we got to throw that in, too. Yeah, and, polar shift. And let the, uh, you know. The oil uh, company conspiracy. Yeah, let the oil company <laughs> conspiracy uh, muddy the waters with that, too. Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, and, again, try to simplify something about the earth or people, you know. And that's, that's our instinct to try to simplify everything, but you can't. No. Uh, if you do, you're fooling yourself would be my suggestion anyway. It's a very complex dynamic system. Yeah. Well, that's all I got for you today. Graham, what's oh. happening down at Lowell's Boat Shop middle of February? Uh, boat building is ongoing. Yeah. Boat building, after school programs, all sorts of stuff. I got some good sea time this summer, and most of the time I was going back and forth again. I'm not on my own time, and we got to get the rental car back by a certain time. So uh, how about you? Did you have a good boat in summer? I did. I spent, uh, I think, five weeks on the, the Spirit of Mass. I got up uh, up in the Somme Sound, um, just up and back. Went through uh, Deer Island Thoroughfare. Oh, you have, to call, you have to call next time you're in the neighborhood, man. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know the number. You have to give it to me. Yeah, Graham is uh, uh, one of the captains of the Spirit of Massachusetts, among other things. But it, was a, it was an all-too-short season this year. Yeah. This uh this day job thing really throws a, a wrench into the work. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, my season didn't end till the middle of November, but and and again that was uh, uh we finally got in the next day and 40 knot winds and I swore I'd never go to sea again after that <laughs> trip, but of course the next chance I get I'm I'm right out there, so. Yeah, I did uh, get into the the rare August gale down in Block Island Sound, which was no fun. Yeah. But it does happen. Heard a great call. Great call from a, uh, a guy in a sailboat who had dragged his anchor and was, you know, aground somewhere. I think it was uh, Point Judith, and he was calling the towboat guy. And I tried not to laugh, thinking that, you know, I myself might be in that situation one day with someone laughing at me, and I wouldn't appreciate it. But uh, basically negotiating the salvage rate, <laughs> and the guy, the uh, towboat guy, was very nicely explaining to him how the the uh, system worked. And the guy comes back after a long pause, and he says, wow, you really got me over a barrel here, don't you? 
<laughs> and it's not cheap if you're not a member of the seagoing AAA, so to speak, you know? Well, he was not a member, and it was an official gale, so there was, uh, there was peril involved, as yep. he said. So then it becomes a, a salvage and a certain percentage of the value of the boat and the whole thing. That uh, November delivery I told you about, um, the boat had engine and uh, electronic problems, and the first guy that tried to bring it up from uh, Newport, Rhode Island to Bass Harbor, uh, the boat crapped out on him. He had it towed into Kittery, mm -hmm. which kind of stumped me because uh, Kittery's uh, quite a uh, current-racked uh, little anchorage up there, you know, and, and wouldn't be cheap, wouldn't ever be my choice to especially get towed up into Kittery. So we got on the boat, put as much fuel as we thought we could uh, get into it. It was kind of an unknown uh, about the fuel system and all that. And took off immediately, uh, pretty much lost the electronics, but we had a handheld. And then at 4.30 in the morning, the engine ran out of gas, and we were uh, 40 miles off of Portland. Now what to do? Call the tow truck? Mm -hmm. um, don't think so. We sailed it into Falmouth. Yeah. And uh, sailed it in in a uh, really interesting little maneuver uh, Got her right in tight up to the moorings by the dock. Had to jive around a bunch of uh, unfortunate stuff and just barely fetched up onto the moorings. I undershot it a little bit. And uh, got her, got her uh, attended to by the handy boatyard the next day. And then the next week we come back and, and successfully uh, sailed her back again with uh, crapped out electronics and that time no autopilot. And on a night where it started out dead calm and looking good, ended up blowing 40 on us. <laughs> And uh, that is inconvenient when it's coming right in your face and, uh, you know, you're worried about your gas mileage and stuff. So um, we barely made it across Bass Harbor Bar against the wind and the tide. And, and uh, so anyway, that's, a, uh, that's my little end of the season, uh, you know, towboat story. We avoided the towboat. We sailed the thing in. Mm, well, yeah. you know, a towboat's a pretty good deal when you need it. Would have rather, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> would have been quicker, but couldn't, couldn't quite see it. So anyway. Yep. Well, Graham, so glad you called this morning. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember, woke up and remembered, which was uh, a rarity. Anytime. Uh, you can send that article down to, uh, uh, oh, what would you do? Info at weru.org. Might be an interesting way to do it. Okay. I'll do that right now. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great. Have a good day, guys. Bye, Graham. Yeah. The lights are flickering here, too. Yeah. We're just having a time this morning, oh. getting settled down. Yeah. But we're almost halfway through boat talk, so it right. must be all right. We have a, um, another WER programmer, or occasional programmer, wife of Dick Fowler, new potatoes guy. George Pat. Fowler, yeah. yeah jo George Fowler. And uh, his wife, Pat, is on the phone to talk about some nautical stuff. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. Thanks so much for letting me talk for a few minutes. I know I won't try and keep people away too long from all these great tales. But uh, we live in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn, as you probably know, is the boat-building capital of the world, Brooklyn, Maine. And our little local library is having an auction that has some really great boat-related items on it, and I thought some of your listeners might be interested. What kind of stuff you got, Pat? Well, we've got some boat plans from Dean Douglas Highland and Associates and from uh, Brooks Boats here in Brooklyn, some working plans for boats. Uh, we've got some wonderful artwork from... Uh, Kathy Bray. We've got books from Wooden Boat Magazine and from Benjamin Wen Mendlowitz, who's a really great wooden, wooden boat photographer. Um, we've got some um, certificates good for service and storage at our local boatyard, uh, Atlantic Boat here. And we uh, actually have a sponsorship from both them and from Brooklyn Boatyard, which is we really appreciate. We've got some canvas items, uh, the Ideal Bucket, a Riggers Ditty Bag, 
from Center Harbor Sales and from Starbound Canvas, um, also a certificate good for some canvas work, those kinds of things. And again, what's this going to benefit? It benefits Friend Memorial Public Library, which is our local public library in our town of 800 people. A cute little building there, and I'm assuming a dynamic uh, you know, place in, in the life of Brooklyn. Very dynamic place yeah. in the life of Brooklyn. I can give you, the reason I'm mentioning all this is that it's, the auction is online. So anyone can participate in it. Can I give you a website? Oh, we were hoping you would. Go ahead, Pat. Yes, <laughs> okay. I've, I've been to that site already, and there's some very, you're right, some nice things. You can click on the, the small pictures of each item and then blow up and uh, see what things look like in detail. But go ahead. What is right. the website? There are ways, ways to get more information. The, that address is www.biddingforgood.com forward slash friend ml that's the word friend f-r-i-e-n-d-m-l for memorial library yeah and uh that'll get you into 90 different items of which gee i think probably 20 of them are boat related in some yeah. way or another yeah i checked out the uh, kathy bray uh drawings i guess you'd call them they're prints, actually. But yeah, they're, they're yeah. prints of her yeah. drawings. Aren't they lovely? They're, she, well, people may be familiar with Kathy. She uh, often has pictures in Wooden Boat Magazine. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah she is really great. And uh, I particularly like the eight hair shoffs. Yes. And that's a really nice one. But, yes, there's several. I, what I'm going to say yeah. probably eight or ten. There's drawing. Dark Harbor 17 and one of friendship, of a friendship sloop, another one of a Maine lobster boat, uh, and then the other one is of a New York 50. So lots of possibilities from of Kathy's work there, and it is beautiful, just gorgeous. Great. Um, the ditty bag, too, made by Center Harbor Sales, another friend of Boat Talk and WDRU, um, is a nice little handy tool. It's not necessarily have to use it on a boat. It's something that you know, a person can uh, yeah, use most anywhere and carry around your tools or whatever. And Make an unusual purse. It, it certainly would. It would. Or a work bag for, uh, for uh, you know, if you're a gardener, for example. You can put all kinds of handy things in there. Yeah. Yep. Well, hopefully you've just created some interest and, and uh, you know, will help, help support the Memorial Library over there in Brooklyn. Boat building capital of the world. That's some bragging, Pat. You betcha. <laughs> you betcha. That was Jimmy Steele's claim, and we don't dispute it for a moment. Hey, if Jimmy said, if Jimmy Steele said so, Jimmy uh, was the fellow who built all those pea pods, among other things. Uh, he's uh, gone and gone and uh, left us now but anyway if jimmy says so good enough for me and it is an interesting confluence of of boatyards people and of course the the uh center of the of the uh, spark there's wooden boat magazine you know so it is and wooden boat's one of our sponsors too and we also have a complete run of the first 108 issues of wooden boat magazine oh, right if you have some space on your shelves it's a great reference tool well, especially there's certain numbers that are missing from the uh, wooden boat. You can't get back copies of when they had the fire back on. That's right. right there, there are two volumes or two issues missing from this from early 1979. But all of the very first ones are there. The ones that got uh, that got burned in the fire. So it's a great set and uh, would be wonderful reading for next winter if we have more weather like this. Excellent, Pat. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pat, and good luck. We're about half past boat talk. The phone's ringing off the hook this morning. The lights are going on and off, up and down, and it's the just kind of weird here ringing. this morning, you know. It's just kind of strange, but we're having a good time. Yeah. We do have another call, I believe. So let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. 
Good morning. Is... Who are we speaking with? Hello, this is Peter from Argyle. Hey, Good morning, Peter. Peter. Argyle. Is he, Argyle, I'm a little bit inland, but I love your show. Well, are you socked in? Excuse me? Are you socked in in Argyle? Not too bad. I think we've only got about an inch this time. He's, he's the punny one. He was making a, a pun on Argyle socks, you see. Oh, it's hard to see him coming sometime, Peter, you know. We like him anyway. The oddest thing is, if you look at the township of Argyle on a map, it is kind of shaped like a sock. How ironic is that? There you go. <laughs> yeah. What'd you really call about this morning, Peter? Well, I have recently acquired a 32-foot, uh, I believe, cedar-on-oak, Jonesport-style uh, lobster boat. Oh, boy. Well, the term boat is rather misleading. Uh-oh. Have you acquired a boat or a, or a wooden li composting liability? Oh, no. I haven't acquired a boat. Let me tell you just a little tiny bit about it, and yeah. then I'll get to my question. It was on a swap shop. Um, it was built in the mid-'80s by a gentleman named McCain somewhere in the southern New Hampshire, northern Massachusetts coastline. Uh, the boat builder passed away in the mid-'80s, and his son and this fellow that I spoke with took the hull, and it's been in the barn since 1988. Oh. It's just been started. There's no deck clamps. There's nothing that runs a float except for the transom and a, and a couple little frames way up in the bow. Um, it was painted and caulked, and it's blocked up quite well. Uh, be a beautiful little boat. It is quinch nailed. Yep. Uh, and I am not familiar with. I'm a metal guy. Um, I used to have a beautiful old wooden Chris Craft. I lost about ten years ago. But that was a, a plywood boat, so that was a good introduction for a metal guy because it was sheets and that kind of thing. Um, I am curious as um, any concerns that I should have about the clinch nails. They're bent over, probably about a half an inch bent over. Each one of them is installed very, very nicely. Um, it looks like they're bent over as, with an eye as they were driven through. Do they look just like uh, iron galvanized nails? Yeah, pretty much. I have one. Uh, it's about two inches long. Not really nail. Well, it's old-fashioned nail shape. Probably an eighth of an inch thick and three sixteenths of an inch wide, with a pretty serious, looks like a hot dip galvanized finish on it. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's not a bronze ring nail or anything. It's it's uh, like say hot dip galvanized. Um, Rings and no grabbing. Yeah. Um, of course, quenching those things over is uh, kind of a wonderful thing to do to the to the nail to to make it a lot harder to pull out. Uh, the thing is, though, is what the metal, uh, you say you're a metal guy, it's what the metal's made out of, and, and the fact that, um, you know, metals in seawater makes a battery. That's and, right. Yeah. Initial, the first thing to go, like, if you have a, a slow on replacing the zinc. Yeah. The uh, best thing the boat could be made out of is bronze fastenings, and, you know, uh, the worst thing, I guess, would be ungalvanized nails, but nobody would do that that could build a boat. But anyway, no, that's not, uh, it's not unusual. Um, 
given the fact that uh, they are well buried, uh, either puttied or I'm assuming puttied or possibly bunged, uh, you know, the less water that gets at the nail heads there, the better, although you can't keep them all dry. And, you know, a boat like that can last a long, long time. But eventually those will rust out is what happens, and, and a boat um, becomes, as they say, nail sick. You know, okay. and once it's been nailed, and uh, uh, you know, becomes a problem of, of how to repair it. That would have been one of the problems with the vessel Raw Faith that we talked about so much, that handicap uh, accessible uh, galleon that was built uh, down in Addison and just sank this last December. Um, you know, she's made with galvanized nails that were uh, left exposed to the water on the outside, and again, they're going to rust. And That's not either, yeah. Yeah, and after they rust, there's nothing really good can happen after that. It's pretty hard to to refasten the boat. Yeah. Um, one suggestion I've heard was to put you know a good bronze screw in next to them, and the first thing that that raises to my mind is is that going to dissolve the nail faster? Well, like I say, now you're setting up more electrical potential. Um, you know, if the boat looks well fastened and, and uh, done in a very workmanlike manner, there's nothing wrong with, with galvanized clinch nails at all. They'll last. Uh, I'm assuming uh, that boat might live longer than you. I'm not, I don't know how old you are, Peter, but. I'd give you 20 years anyway. Yeah. I'm close. Uh, well, I'm, I'm 55. I will be 55. Yeah. <laughs> you probably, even if it does not last you, you won't have to go under and do the work at that age. So, you know, there's something uh, to think about right there. Yeah. Thing is, too, it's probably going to take eight or ten years before it ever goes in the water. You got a bunch of work to do. Yes. Yeah. But there's, there's very little taken back. Wow. Um, probably a third of the the plank ends have a buck lock on them. You do you have that? Do you have a plan? Uh, Are you working on it? Uh, I haven't got it yet. I went and I looked at it a week or two two weeks ago, and I hemmed in hard and and. Uh, made an arrangement with a fellow, and one of the first things I said is, can it stay in your barn for a couple of months because I don't have a place to put it under cover? That would be huge to, like say, keeping it under cover. Yeah, you highly want, recommend you it. You keep it dry. Yeah. It's got the potential to be just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful. So it's, it's sparked a dream in your head, hasn't it, Peter? I had, I had that one uh, wooden boat before that was kind of small for a liveaboard, but I've always thought, you know, to be, I've got a, a pretty much self-sustaining place to live in here in Argyle, it's quite reasonable, and to have a boat, maybe when I get older, I might want to not ever winter with this much snow. Yep. Cut her uh, loose, drift her south. Is this boat on its own trailer? Um, it isn't on a trailer. I'm going to have to transport it up here and and uh, no, no, hydro yeah. hydro trailer, so-called. Yeah. The uh, thing about a boat hull is kind of like framing a house, Peter. You know, you've got the house closed in, and you think, wow, look at us now. But basically, you've got half the work left to do. Oh, well, if you were going to turn this into a 32-foot canoe, it would be about half done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you can't really underestimate the amount of work done, but... Um, in some ways, the deck and the house and, and all that, um, you know, is less, it can be somewhat carpenterial, less challenged than planking sometimes. Right. Well, yeah, the hardest part, the trickiest part 
it's done. I, my boat building skills aren't too bad, um, but I'm not a top of the line. You know, we stuff with such a difficulty level as plank and the hull, and that's all done. And it's you know you got to fare it in a little bit, but it's there. It's got a really nice shape. So that's way ahead. Well, if you, if you really wanted to be serious and try to make this boat last as long as possible, you might also consider sheathing it with uh, epoxy and boat cloth or something like that, too, to put a barrier on it all the way right up to the shear, too, not just to the waterline. Yeah. What I, like, what I like to do to a wooden boat is to prime it with, um, oh, what's that, uh, Interlux P2000, is it? It's a, uh, it's a barrier coat made for blister protection on fiberglass boats. Huh, that's that strike into the wood better than like a West Systems epoxy wood. Well, it is an epoxy. It's a two-part epoxy paint, and it's very high solids. And it it's also epoxy is kind of like skidoo. It's a very generic term, okay, and it connotes a lot of different chemistry, all of basically the same type. But uh, the thing about this uh, Interlux um, Interprotect, I believe, uh, I believe they call it P2000. Fortunately, I haven't had to breathe it for a couple of years. Um, it's an incredibly flexible uh, epoxy. When you get done with this, if, for instance, let's um, we mix up some, some regular old fiberglass in a plastic tub, and we let it kick over. We mix up some of this paint, and we let it kick over, okay, uh, dry up. Now, we're going to go stomp on both of these plastic tubs. The one with the fiberglass in it is going to be very brittle. It's going to shatter. The one with the paint in it is just going to... It's just going to squish. It's, it's like, like say, very puck. flexible. So it um, makes a great uh, barrier coat for keeping the, the water off the wood, and it's also a great uh, um, primer for, for uh, you know, the epoxy paints as well. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the stuff. So I was almost thinking that I would almost try and, and seal each plank individually. Would you'd almost use you'd use that claw? I don't want to. I don't want it to look like a fiberglass boat. I want it to be finished nicely so people think it's a fiberglass boat. Yeah. Well, fiberglass and it's not. There's a big issue with that too. Um, what Alan was sort of suggestion to sheathe the boat. Now let's imagine it was a 32 foot canoe and we built a strip plank canoe. We'd get some 10 ounce boat cloth, a very fine, uh, you know, uh, weave, and we would put it on there with epoxy and call it good. Um, that may or may not crack somewhere where the boat wants to expand or contract. But in a lobster boat where you have a plank seam everywhere, putting that light cloth over, um, you know how the the uh, seam compound in the boat will be kind of cracked up sometimes when the boat's dried out, you know, after it's been stored, for instance? Yeah. Um, that's the boat shrinking and swelling. That 10-ounce boat cloth will probably not accommodate that stretch and will probably crack. Um what the boys do when they fiberglass a lobster boat uh, that's getting old and rotten and they're trying to get some more life out of it, the idea is to fiber, put enough fiberglass on there that the wooden boat inside is kind of irrelevant at the time, okay? And you either uh, staple and nail some of the fiberglass to it, mechanically fasten it, but like say, we're talking about a really thick multiple layers is the way that's done. And, and then it's not going to crack on the seams, but the other boat's going to rot from the inside out. Right. Yeah, now that's not going to happen to this hull. I've always thought that glassing over a wooden boat was pretty much the death knoll. Like, there you go, you can use it for 10 years, and then, you know. Yep. You know. 
But let's imagine now that your boat gets nail sick after all these years. These nails get all rusty and they're not holding the planks on. Um, then we could drive some screws in and glass the heck out of her, you know. We'll save that one for 30 years down, 40 years down the line, maybe. Answer me one thing. I'm looking at the screw thinking if I located those, I could just drill the head off them, drive them through, and replace them with a real marine fastener, like a, you know, number 10 bronze screw or something. It's got to be worth the, uh, worth the effort. Remove all the nails? Man, drive it to the inside and, and put a screw in there. Yeah, I'd go with the clinch nails. You know, like I say, it's not, it's been building boats like that for a long time. It's solid. It'll last you a long time. It's not, uh, it's not the best and it's not permanent, but it ain't bad. It'll probably last as long as I need it to. Yeah, that's what I was saying, you old fella. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds good. And anybody that's listening, if anybody knows this uh, McCain gentleman, uh, down south of here that built that boat. I'd love to have any kind of history on him or, or it, if there is any out there. And very quickly on the magnetic derivation, Yeah. in your uh, chart number one booklet on page 12, it explains the, uh, the derivation, and it says the annual change is about three minutes a year. Yeah. So yeah. I don't... Plus, you know, anything that the pole shift is going to be in addition to that. Yeah, and in uh, navigation, a minute is a mile. So it's about three miles a year, which is not inconsiderate when you're looking for the North Pole. <laughs> you know? It used to be here. Yeah. Peter, good to hear from you this morning. Best of luck with the dream, man. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we're all about dreaming on Boat Talk. Yep. We got another phone call. Oh, my goodness. Right up here. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, hi, how are you doing? This We're is George Fowler. Hey, George. Morning, George. Yeah, I know nothing about boats except they float in the water, but a little bit about uh, declination and uh, the hole moving around and so on and so forth. Um, no doubt it, it moves all the time and moves faster and sometimes and slower other times. But um, thanks to the mysteries of computers and uh, NOAA and so on and so forth, there's a you know, an up-to-date site, all you need to do is put your zip code in, and it'll tell you just where you are today. So um, I can give you that login if someone wants it. And, you know, that's the easiest thing, to do, and you can adjust your maps for whatever you are. Sure, let's write that one down. So it's, uh, www, this is, it's the National Geophysical Data Center, so it's www.ngdc.noaa, N-O-A-A, dot gov and there's a slash there and then it's geomag models g-e-o-m-a-g-m-o-d-e-l-s wow that's pretty easy for slash the government and website. basically if you do if you just get to know and put in uh geomagnetic or whatever yeah. and so i put in brooklyn this morning and uh for uh february 8th of the year 2011 at our latitude of 44.275325 and longitude 68.559568. Declination is 16 degrees and 44 minutes west, and it changes by five minutes east per year. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, it's all it's all there. I, I understand the guy's, uh, the, the gentleman's question that called in, that it's hard to locate because it moves, and it moves at different speeds and so on. But given the fact that every airplane that takes off and lands has to figure out the direction and so on for their airfields and where they need to be. Why well, I, I suspect these folks keep it up to date pretty well. Yep. 
Good point, George. Good information, George. Yep, Thank well, you there much. it is, and love your show, and uh, keep on chatting away. Well, right. we've heard from both you and Pat today. Yeah, that's, that's quite right. Something. Uh, it'd probably be the first and last time you'd ever hear from me on Boat Talk, but we do listen when we get a chance. Yeah, and George is uh, responsible, among other people, for uh, new potatoes Saturday that's afternoon. Potatoes <laughs> do have a, a navigation function. So Potatoes, yes, have been used for navigation and old uh, Bert and I stories. Yep. Yep. All sorts Throw of a potato out forward of the boat in the in the thick fog. If you hear a splash, you can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and when, you, when it goes funk, you better... That's right. Turn, turn her hard. hard. <laughs> Thank you, George. Okay, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. Oh, phone ringing again. Can yes, we give the phone is. number? We're not going to get to any of these uh, things One, we were thinking we'd fill the program six, with. But. Six two five nine three seven eight. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, gentlemen. Great show. Hey, Michael. Uh, well, I wanted to just throw in a couple of things for, for Peter. It sounds like he's found himself a lovely boat, and I thought I'd give him another boat builder's opinion. Oh, so, good. Uh, You're going to clinch um, it for us. I, yes. <laughs> um, I would. I, I. I agree with you. I would stick with the with the clench nails. By his description of the nails to begin with, he, you know, he's found a boat that that um, obviously the builder had a stash of real old-fashioned boat nails. So um, they're probably uh, fairly fairly flexible. So they clench over nicely, which is a good thing. And they're probably well galvanized, and that is a really difficult thing to find these. Thanks to EPA laws and sloppy galvanizers, it'll uh. keep their their tanks clean. Um, you know, quality of galvanizing has slipped a lot over the years. But um, that, as you said, that what he's got is going to last 20, 25 years before it starts to give him problems. And the last thing he wants to consider is putting any kind of of uh, um, cuprous metal, any bronze or copper, anything close to those things because he will set up, of course, electrolytic action immediately. And what is going to disappear is, you know, the, the, the bottom of the barrel when it comes to metals on the table of nobility is zinc. And zinc is what the galvanizing is. And, you know, the first thing that's going to happen if he puts any bronze fasteners in there is the galvanizing is going to go away. And then he's going to deal with what is ultimately the biggest problem for galvanized fastened boats with oak frames is all the tannic acid in the oak is going to attack the uh, is going to attack the iron, the steel, and and um, it 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 results in deterioration across the board, fasteners and framing. So you got um, a double chemical whammy going on there. Exactly, yeah. it's a lose lose situation, and I think he said he was what 55. Yep. You know, the boat's going to last him 20, 25 years easily if he, uh, if he takes care of it. And, uh, and it sounds like he's got a day or two's work to get it finished up anyway. No so, doubt. Uh, that, sounds, uh, that sounds like a great project. Um, I have to tell you, I'm sorry I missed uh, the show you guys did after, um, uh, after Raw Face sank. Uh, yep. I, I got caught up in a... A discussion that day with my friend and neighbor Pete Buxton, and and um, we, I'm ashamed to admit, we spaced out the show. Because <laughs> Pete's and, boat builder too. We'd like you fellows listening. So yeah, I know. And uh, so anyway, I, I I was wondering, have you had any communication with Mr. McKay since the the? Uh, no, I haven't. 
Um, and what, what I talked about on that show was that I am, um, kind of close to one of his sons and uh -huh. it has become, uh, it's always been a tricky political thing and the sinking, if anything, has made that politics, um, uh, more convoluted and there remains a bit of a mystery of, of, of um, I mean, Michael, on the face of what he did was insane. Uh, hard to put a better word on it, you know. It was just crazy to um, head offshore uh, ostensibly for Bermuda in that boat with one other crewman who was not experienced, was seasick before he got out of the harbor, and the boat has no autopilot. Two people, you know, you and me and, and uh, the best sailor we could find couldn't, couldn't get that boat to Bermuda in this season. Right. Anybody that's going offshore... Uh, headed to Bermuda right now would do two things. One, you would not leave from Salem, Massachusetts. You would go down like to Newport, Rhode Island or something and get right. yourself a better, closer uh, jump. You would also wait for the best weather hole you could find and you'd go as fast as you could and hope another storm didn't sneak up on you. Raw yeah, Faith you wait took, for a nice nor'wester. Yeah, oh. Raw Faith took five days to get from Portland to Boston. How long you I, think? I watched the boat sail on a YouTube uh, uh, thing and... Um, you know the the problems are obviously were 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 myriad. I yeah, mean. it didn't have any potential for speed. It, it was leaking to begin with. Um, one of the ploys that George tried to use to stay in Salem Harbor was he had to get all the muscles off the hull. And the harbor master looked at him and says, "You come in with muscles on, you're gonna have to go." And the key thing in all this, I don't think, can be underestimated. George was arrested and handcuffed on the deck of his boat in Salem Harbor just before this whole thing went down and he went offshore and lost the boat. And George is already a fellow who thinks that, you know, people are working against him. And I doubt he'd ever been handcuffed before, let alone hauled off his boat to jail, went into the jail, went up in front of the judge. The judge says, what are you doing here? And if you just leave, we'll, we'll never mind. But I don't think you can underestimate George's uh, frame of mind at the time like I said, why not just leave Salem Harbor, go around the corner, toss the hook out? Any, you know, you can anchor anywhere, theoretically, on the coast of America. Right. I believe he felt that right. boat was going to be taken from him or he was going to be taken from the boat. And that's yeah. why he did what he did. But again, he had no chance, zero, absolutely zero chance of success to, to make Bermuda. And if he'd made Bermuda, you can't get in. You, can't, oh, you, you could never sail raw faith out. into St. George through the town cut, through the reefs. Absolutely not. Yeah. He could barely get it in. He he couldn't almost. Uh, he had to have assistance from the harbor master to get into Salem, Massachusetts. He couldn't sail that thing into St. George, Bermuda. Absolutely oh, impossible. No. It's it, well, you'd have to be incredibly lucky. Well, uh, and again, he is uh, kind of going on raw faith. Oh, uh, it's not really a pun, but you know, um, and. You know, like I say, blind faith might be a better. Well, he thought he had five or six guys coming for crew, and it turned out that all the others found very important uh, things that their dogs had to do that day. Instead, you know, couldn't make it that day, and he went with the one guy he thought he had to go. Some, and that remains the mystery: how, how out of shape was was you know George to think he had no other choice. Well, you, you know, I, I don't know the man, and, and um, I, I, you know, I, I think there are several aspects to this whole sad tale, and um, obviously you, you can't question his, his dedication or his intentions or 
it, they were all noble and and you know the idea of doing this. I, but I, you know, I think he went off course early when he. If you're going to build a hundred foot schooner, and I mean you've got to admire the man for for giving that a whirl, but the first thing you want to do, as they say in these parts, is you want to find a good model. And um, you, you know whether it's a whether it's a Glosterman or whether, like Bob Douglas, you choose a revenue a U.S. Coast Guard revenue cutter, um, which was the model. You know, the Joe Lane was the model for Shenandoah, and but you choose a, a, a good model with a with a proven sailing ability. And I, I mean, I think that was his first mistake. And you, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. And yep. and, uh, and and same when it came to putting the sticks in it. I'm sure that. I've met a few of the skippers years ago, Jim Sharp, many years ago, and in Orville on the, on the Roseway there, and they were the kind of men that would, if you came and said you were building a boat and you'd like to bring a calipers and measure their sticks, they, they'd invite you aboard in a heartbeat. And, and uh, chat you up hard on it and tell you what they thought. And exactly. what any decent sailor does um, when he's anyplace strange is you court local knowledge. Local knowledge is... is, is one of the greatest things, yeah, that you can exactly. hope There's to find. More, in the, more information stashed away in people like that. And, and which, of course, brings up the final thing is would Jim Sharp or Bob Douglas have taken hundred their 100-foot schooners offshore to Bermuda with one crewman in December? Not even a chance. We know the answer to that, yeah, don't not, we? And mean, again, anybody who was familiar with, uh, you know, sailing back and forth to Bermuda and stuff would, would say, you know, it's... Undoable. Hell, it's a tough trip. It's a, it can be a tough trip in a 50-foot boat in, in July. Let's face it. I mean, I, I raced the Bermuda race once back in the 80s. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a hard place to get to. And it's not, a, it's not, you know, the Bermuda Triangle I don't put much stock in. But it's, it's a nasty confluence. The Gulf Stream, as you were talking in the last show, you know, is not, you know when you're there. And uh, it's... Yeah, the water's warm, but there are a lot of other things that can get pretty hot there, too. And squalls and, no, a foolhardy move. And it's a good thing that it didn't kill him, though. Uh, yes, yeah. it is. And it again, is, you, wouldn't, alive. you wouldn't uh, go on any of these trips without incredibly extensive pre-preparation, which, you know, really wasn't, there was no time right. for it, so it wasn't done. You know, you check everything uh, six or eight times. You put everything aboard. You think you need and a bunch of other stuff and still hope for the best. And, you know, a zero chance of... Of accomplishing Especially that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sounds harsh, but it's kind of true. So well, one other boat talk, um, raw faith related thing too. We talk about quickly here before the end is a uh, a friend of uh, boat talk on Vinyl Havens has sent us some pictures of uh, raw faith under construction that we're going to be putting up on the website, and you might want to check those out too. Oh, okay. Um, you will. Your eyeballs will pop, Michael. Yeah, Michael. <laughs> As a yeah. boat builder, that will yeah. blow your oh, yeah. little mind. <laughs> uh. It looks a bit rough. Okay. And mind you, look at the planks he had. He's working with 8 and 10 foot uh, maximum length uh, white oak planks. How do you stagger those enough, you know? But no. you've also got to remember it's three layers thick. And, three know, layers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, uh, it was a piece of work. And again, we celebrate the dream. And I've always pointed out, if George wasn't a bit of a bull and, and uh, in some ways a difficult fellow, he never could have got that boat done in the first place. A lot of other people have never come as close to realizing the dream as George. Well, we need to wrap it up, Michael. Thank you for calling. Keep going. Just... Thanks again for a great show, guys, as always. And 
keep warm out there. Wow, wasn't as planned today in any way, shape, or form. We didn't have our primary guests. We weren't going to use our. We didn't get to use our backup stuff, and we had a great chance talking to people though, so it was good. That's it for Bostock. Stay tuned for On the Wing with Jim Bahoosh coming up next year on Community Radio WERU-FM.